0: Essentially, nature is a great asset for meeting these climate challenges. And we have to understand that instead of an exploitative approach to nature to actually see it as an economic asset to preserve and protect nature, let's scale up the most productive form of photosynthesis while actually protecting biodiversity and seeing all these other benefits come up from using nature. As a really powerful tool to help us with the climate challenge.
1: Welcome to the Future Engineering Club podcast. My name is Jack Lomas, and join me as I speak to some of the brightest minds in the built environment, hearing firsthand their experience building the future of our planet. Now, if you work in the built environment, particularly the more asset intensive side of the industry, such as water and energy, you're likely to have seen the increased focus on a concept called nature based solutions. Essentially, what nature-based solutions refers to is action that we can take to protect, sustainably manage, or restore natural ecosystems, which in turn helps us address environmental challenges such as flood risk and coastal erosion. NBS plays a really critical role in climate and environmental adaptation, and is at the front of mind for most major asset owners at the moment. And it's for this reason that I'm really excited to dive into the topic with Ariella Sharney co-founder and COO at Albo Climate, which uses remote sensing technology to monitor the progress of nature-based solutions programs and carbon sequestration around the world. Ariella and the team are based in Tel Aviv, backed by venture funds like Textiles, and recently received awards from BCG and IBM, as well as being hosted at the United Nations, very much positioning them as market leaders in the space. One quick point before I pass over to Ariella. If I may ask a favor, if you enjoy this episode, please consider giving it a share on LinkedIn and a follow on Spotify, as it really helped promote our conversation to others who might find it helpful. Now, let's welcome Ariella.
0: So my name is Ariella Charney. I'm the co-founder and COO of Albo Climate. Albo Climate is a climate tech startup based in Tel Aviv, Israel, but with a pretty international team. We founded Albo Climate about two and a half years ago, realizing that my path really is in climate And that's where my passion lies.
1: The climate crisis is so important for us as as humanity. And it's so exciting to see so many intelligent, creative people moving into the sector because it needs everyone to work together on it.
0: Absolutely. That's what also is exciting for me about climate tech specifically, as opposed to other industries. It's really about international cooperation, international development, all these issues that actually I've always been interested in, in terms of policy. But now bringing that into the tech world and into the startup scene is, is for me personally, very interesting setting. And that's, that's the, the key here with, with climate tech. We can't do it alone. We can't do it in our own silos. It involves government. It involves major institutions, academia. And of course, the startups have a role here because they're pushing the envelope on some really interesting technology that can be applied globally. But there's, you know, to go from a really cool idea to how to execute and how to have real impact is, is this exciting challenge it's going to require a lot of international cooperation.
1: So tell us a little bit about the specific challenges that you are focusing on at Albo.
0: So the specific challenge that we're focusing on is bringing data from satellite images from remote for what's called nature-based climate solutions. Essentially that means how do we bring data that shows impact as it pertains to sustainable land use. And that can be a pretty broad range of of areas. So sustainable land use means more sustainable agriculture. It means curbing deforestation. It means restoring natural areas like grasslands or afforestation and reforestation projects. And all of them have a lot of impact, positive impact. But we need to have data for that. We can't just try things out and see what happens. We need to provide data and that's going to really fuel finance for these kinds of nature-based solutions. So that's where Alba fits in. We're a tech company. We are pretty multidisciplinary when it comes to using different technologies. And what we do essentially is analyze different types of satellite images with our own proprietary AI algorithms that we've developed. And we're able to produce data on the pixel level that can show things like carbon sequestration in natural areas, biodiversity metrics, Of course, deforestation and land use conversion, all of this type of information on a really high resolution and accuracy, which can help stakeholders understand the impact of a project and of course, get finance and and sell carbon credits and utilize all sorts of financial mechanisms to actually scale these activities up because without data, we can't scale nature restoration. And so this data needs to be both really accurate and really inexpensive and scalable so that we can actually access it easily.
1: So I I know that folks will be very well familiar with the challenges around deforestation. So taking down trees en masse is extremely bad for the environment from a carbon sequestration perspective, as well as then actually the impact it has on the local biodiversity and the environment. Nature-based solutions, would you mind maybe just sort of giving a bit of an explanation for that?
0: Yes, absolutely. So There's all sorts of ways to basically reduce CO2 emissions in the atmosphere. Of course, we need to actually pump less CO2 into the atmosphere and reduce our emissions through more energy efficient systems from renewable energy and so on. And then there's a whole field of using nature as kind of a way to draw down CO2 because essentially this is going back to something so simple and yet so powerful is that Nature naturally will take up CO2 from the atmosphere as it's regenerating, as it's building up its own biomass through photosynthesis. That's the basic underlying principle here. Let's, Let's speed this up. Let's scale up the most productive form of photosynthesis while actually protecting biodiversity and seeing all these other benefits come up from using nature as a really powerful tool to help us with the climate challenge. So that's the basic principle, and it, it's so intuitive, right? It means preserving forests, which actually forests have become a net emitter of CO two because we're burning them. It's actually mind blowing. So when you're burning down a forest and actually unsustainable land use, including burning down forests for agriculture, produces about thirty percent of annual GHG emissions. It's absolutely a huge the 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 negative impact of destroying nature. And so when we actually conserve nature, we're avoiding a lot of emissions. And when we nourish nature and we reforest in a very thoughtful way, then we're actually what's called, we're sequestering CO2. We're removing excess CO2 from the atmosphere through nature, through that photosynthesis as the trees grow. So this is kind of the the overarching idea here. And it's really powerful, but it still needs to be backed by this very robust science-driven approach to actually understand where the trees growing, how they're growing, how much CO2 they're actually storing and sequestering year by year. And that's going to actually bring in much more focus and finance into the sector, because then you can prove that a particular project has drawn down X amount of CO2, and that can be a really powerful, compelling story for more projects like that, for more financing. But essentially, nature is a great asset for meeting these climate challenges. And we have to understand that instead of an exploitative approach to nature, to actually see it as an economic asset to preserve and protect nature. And luckily, we are seeing the global economy moving towards that kind of approach. But it's still rather slow. There's still much needed regulation that will help push that kind of thinking that, hey, it's it's worthwhile to keep the trees in the ground, and it has to be worthwhile economically. That's just the world we live in and an albo is is fitting in with that with that data piece and there's so many different types of nature based solution that's the beauty of it, and then all around the world, there's kind of a it doesn't matter where you do the nature based solution. it's going to have the c o two reduction impact, whether that's you know in, in South america or or in Australia. so there's a kind of equalizer here that. Wherever you do a nature-based solution, if you can have a provable, measurable CO2 reduction, that's good for everyone globally. And you can be restoring mangroves. You can be doing regenerative ag, which is basically more sustainable agricultural practices. You can be conserving vulnerable forests and, and halting deforestation. So there's a whole range of activities you can, you can engage in, and we want to scale that up.
1: It really is so exciting to hear the different examples. Thinking about my own experiences here in the UK within the water industry, one of the big priorities at the minute is nature-based solutions. And if you look around your urban areas, around your city centers, you will see little miniature examples of nature-based solutions, whether it's a, a little grassy patch at the bottom of a hill, which then actually absorbs some water from the runoff along the road. Or a little bit of tree planting around the around the roundabout, et etc. It really does these little micro efforts to introduce nature back into the urban environments that we we often live in. It really does just help the the local infrastructure and help nature take a lot more of a role in supporting supporting our society and our economy. And it's amazing because it's we've take we take such a active efforts to almost hinder the quality and the the perseverance of nature but actually it's there to look after us so it's really exciting to see these efforts going into nature-based solutions and restoring mangroves restoring large forested areas because it is really the secret looking forward to solving the climate crisis in some ways
0: absolutely and that's the beauty of nature-based solutions of course We want to have massive scale, but even a small project, when you repeat that hundreds of thousands of times, it's going to have a big climate impact. And actually one of the clients we're working with in Canada has thousands of mini nature based solutions that they're implementing on privately owned land in, in Canada. It's a very interesting model that they're pioneering, I would say. And each parcel of land is doing something with a lot of impact, actually, even if it's small. It's bringing back some biodiversity. It's, of course, drawing down CO2. If it's strategically placed, it can be a buffer to some pollution runoff and so on. So these, these kinds of projects are really instrumental. And when you can actually monitor them at scale, then you can start building up that 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 case for them. You can see the data. You can see the huge impact. And it's very interesting also to see how different projects can be connected and how they can build a biodiversity and kind of augment each other. As you're mentioning in the UK, each rewilded area or, or natural area can support a, a micro ecosystem and can draw down CO2.
1: Absolutely. And actually the economic case really does stand up because if you look at say the farming industry, which is prominent here in the UK, There is typically quite a lot of chemicals used and pesticides used, which has a a real significant impact within the the water network, as well as then actually the quality of the soil and the land, et cetera, which then impacts the ability for the soil to then soak in carbon. Moving to more regenerative agriculture practices could actually improve the profit margin within farms by up to 79% because of the reduction in chemicals, as well as then Are the benefits to the approach? So, not only does moving towards regenerative agriculture reduce the impact of farming on the land and support more carbons being sequestered, it also then improves the profit margin for the farm. So, it really is winning all round.
0: Absolutely. Yes. It's going to make the soil more resilient to do that, that move from industrial to regenerative ag. It's going to increased yield over time and it, of course has a huge climate benefits, but it's still, we're still seeing that it's difficult to move the needle and to have massive conversion to regenerative ag. We are seeing some pretty big companies pioneering that and investing and in bringing that forward finance that we need to see so that we can help growers move to regenerative ag because it's a complicated process. There's some risk there for them, and we need some really forward thinkers here. But the climate benefits are huge, and also in terms of how it can be repeated around the world and how it can bring new revenue streams to to farmers in different parts of the world, both through what they're actually growing and through carbon revenue, will have a huge potential impact on economic development actually.
1: So I know at Albo, you work with projects on a, on a mass scale, which is which is so exciting to, to hear about. What type of role do you typically play within these large nature-based solutions programs?
0: So we do work in a variety of nature-based programs in a variety of countries, from Ecuador to Zambia. And our role really is the technology enabler here. We fit that specific rubric that we can verify from space, the CO2 reductions or avoided CO2 emissions. And we make it much easier to issue carbon credits, for example, and we reduce the amount of infield manual labor that a project developer would have to engage in Thanks to our technology, thanks to that remote sensing approach. And ultimately what we do is we create a lot more transparency in these projects, a lot more confidence because we can map to the pixel the actual CO2 reductions so that they can really, project developer can really stand behind the impact that they're creating with this project. And then in the case of a carbon credit project, the, the purchaser of the credits can also have a lot of confidence that the credits that they purchased are are real quantified, high-impact credits. This is what we're really pushing for, is more transparency in the market to really digitize these projects, to use this kind of novel satellite and AI technology to to create that data-driven approach. And we we hope to see that we can service projects where, for example, you have small plots of land, lots of, for example, smallholder farmers aggregated together in a massive, for example, agroforestry project, even in really remote areas. And thanks to our technology, we we aim to serve all of those little projects and, and be able to bring out that data in an inexpensive way, in a very accessible way, so that all of these farmers can be included. So we have a bird's eye view of those climate impacts for for a project like that. And that it doesn't matter, even if you're a smallholder farmer in a remote area, if you're a climate forward thinking land steward, you should be included in this market and you should be able to get some carbon revenue, for example. And we hope to to be able to bring out the data there and scale this.
1: So how does this type of project compare to the wider carbon credit market is this what others are doing
0: so in the carbon credit market you have a I would call it a buffet of different types of carbon credits you can if you're a, a major corporate looking to reach net zero targets first of all you're going to look into reducing your emissions and then you're going to come up with a plan to start offsetting some of the emissions that you can't immediately reduce so you can be looking at direct air capture kind of credits which means basically buying carbon credits from Projects that use machines to actually suck up CO2 and filter it out of the air, interesting technology. You can have carbon credits that you buy from what's called improved cookstove projects. Basically, where project developers are implementing more energy efficient and actually healthier cookstoves for populations around the globe, which will would replace kind of more polluting ways of cooking. Uh, and then just to jump and to nature-based solutions kind of carbon credits, which means that for each measurable ton of CO2 that an area of nature has sequestered or removed through that photosynthesis process, which I mentioned in the beginning, that project will be eligible to issue a carbon credit, which that same corporate looking to offset its emissions can purchase. So we see that corporates are maybe looking at a variety of carbon credits in their net zero goals. But for sure, there's a big interest in nature based solutions and a big push to actually make nature based solutions really transparent and increase the volume of nature based solutions credits. Because I, looking specifically at this kind of credit, of course, you have the CO2 reduction that's measurable because of that photosynthesis, but you also have a whole plethora of co benefits. Other types of benefits that perhaps in other carbon credits you don't see. Of course, the first one that comes to mind is biodiversity, that when you actually preserve a forest, you're preserving the biodiversity in there. And actually, Alvo is working on some very interesting models to actually track the, the the improvements to biodiversity in these kinds of projects. With nature-based solutions, you see a lot of local engagement, local new jobs created around. Reforesting, planting mangroves, cultivating new types of crops that have climate benefits and an economic value to to whoever's planting it. So it, it's a much more it's a very involved kind of project. Nature based solution, and that's part of the com- complexity of it because, of course, you have to actually have people on the ground implementing a new type of activity that's going to have what's called additionality. It's going to be something that wouldn't have happened without climate, uh, without carbon finance. So it's going to be complicated to ensure that the work is being done, that it's fair that those involved are getting the benefits of the carbon revenue and that it's going to be done over a long period of time and so on. So these are complicated projects to run. Albo in this particular is working with project developers who have already some experience in running nature-based solutions. And th- there's so many benefits to restoring and protecting nature that we really hope that this type of carbon project will be will be scaled up. And also, we're hoping to see just more regulation around how nature is managed.
1: I'm amazed at your approach here because you're a startup of a couple of years old based in Israel using satellites to verify the amount of carbon being sucked out of the air in a mangrove in South America. That's, that's amazing. And it really does just demonstrate how far technology has come. In terms of the actual verification process, how do you do that? I know that you mentioned AI, but what does that look like?
0: Yes. So that's, that's the secret sauce, the technology that we're really pioneering. And what we do is we process satellite images, and satellite images can give us a lot of proxies, basically, to what's going on in terms of carbon dynamics. So we use actually optical satellite images and also radar, and the signals that we get from the satellite images we can then interpret, together with a lot of other kinds of variables, for example, the bioclimatic data, so basically the altitude, the temperature, the different conditions in which this project is run. And together with our AI algorithms, we can really draw out the carbon sequestration. So for example, we, if we have a particular project in Ecuador, we're gonna look at the satellite images year after year over that area and understand the signals that we're getting from the satellite images. We're gonna look at the altitude, temperature, slope of each particular area in that project. And we're gonna basically train AI models to produce an output of carbon stocks and carbon sequestration. Carbon stock is the amount of carbon in a particular area at a given time. It comes from biomass and create a heat map that shows exactly what the carbon dynamics are for that area for a particular period of time. And what is really important here, and this is important for all kinds of AI technologies, is the quality of the training data, right? So for AI, you have basically you're you're training a model to produce reliable output. And so you have to train it with some real, what what we call ground truth data. In our case, it's, it's literally ground truth data. It's tree or soil data that our partners might be collecting or that we're drawing from other sources. And so this data is injected into AI models and they're trained on real high quality data to to interpret and to correlate the ground truth data with the bioclimatic and satellite data. So that's where this very interesting training process comes in and where AI can be really pushing, pushing this whole field because the AI can find correlations that can be very difficult to find otherwise and create much more automation in this area so that it's much faster to show that carbon value for each pixel point as opposed to, of course, sending folks to the field and measuring trees, which is kind of the traditional classic way of monitoring carbon sequestration. It was done manually in the field. You literally have people measuring trees and understanding their growth and their absorption of CO2 that way. And we want to move towards a system where we can digitize it, automate it with the the most sophisticated AI algorithms. And that's something that's always going to be Something that we're pushing on and innovating on, and looking for partners to work on this with us because that quality of the data coming in for the, the training and calibration of the AI is going to be very important because there's also a lot of variation in nature. You have so many different kinds of bioclimatic zones, so many different kinds of vegetation and conditions, which impact carbon sequestration. So, if you want to reach really high accuracy, the quality of the data will be important. And of course, the strength of the AI algorithms will be really important as well.
1: And just on the point around partners, really interested to understand your routes to market. What does that look like for you?
0: So, in the past two two and a half years of R and D, we've had some really important clients and innovation partners that we've worked with to build up these novel, very high resolution, very high accuracy carbon models. And so, we've actually been able to service some projects in Canada, in Ecuador, in Peru. And what we're really looking to do now is to scale up. So, you know, take it from these powerful AI models to something that can be really applied globally, that's easy to use, that's very accessible and relevant for different types of players around the world. We're actually really fortunate to have gotten some recognition recently. So this spring we won the AI for Planet Competition, which is a very interesting multi party competition, actually hosted at the United Nations. And the idea of the competition was to find companies that are using AI in a novel way to address climate challenges. So, through this competition that we won, we have actually two partnerships one with BCG, who was actually the spearheading this competition. We have this very interesting acceleration sprint with BCG to understand how do we actually scale up the use of these models and work with clients around the world in a really strategic way. And the second prize we got was actually working with IBM on commercializing these models and working within some of their very innovative platforms to scale up sustainable land usage to bring out that data in a really commercially smart way. We're humbled and we're only gonna move the needle if we work together. Small startup that has this agility, that has this pioneering mindset, the bigger tech companies that are developing just amazing, robust platforms to support all this. The consulting companies, the big finance governments, academia, this is this is a completely new kind of world. This isn't just, you know, another nice, cool SaaS solution. This is really changing changing how we deal with climate change so this is this is what elbow has been working on recently we're also working on having our tool approved by one of the biggest carbon standards in the world which is really important because we're always looking for that kind of partnership and and that kind of level of
1: peer review so it's amazing you're a two-year-old startup yet you worked with all of these massive players like BCG, IBM, the UN. I mean, the UN in particular, what what did that look like? So that was
0: a very exciting milestone, I think, for Albo and I think for for the field in general. So the UN is really taking an interesting role here in serving as a platform for different stakeholders to discuss and execute on novel technologies, that can be useful for tackling climate change and protecting nature globally so it was a huge privilege to actually present Albo Climate at the United Nations headquarters in New York City this spring when we saw a lot of excitement and interest in learning about what we can do with AI by the different ambassadors from the different countries by the different financials that are coming in and and sitting in the UN and learning from one another. And what we're hoping to see is the, the next step. The Now that we know the what, now is the how. How do we implement AI? How is it used by governments? How do we make sure it's fair and accurate and actually helping different, different players and different disadvantaged communities as well to, to actually, how how is actually empowering them to preserve their local natural assets? To How do we use that to actually track bad players around the world and to incentivize good land stewardship? And I think this is a really different kind of approach to typical business as usual. This is our own planet at stake. This is our own health at stake. And that climate change is already here. We have to look at both adaptation and mitigation when it comes to climate. And we have to understand that nature has such a pivotal role in helping us mitigate climate change and the effects of destroying nature where we're understanding are catastrophic. So to kind of zoom out, it's not just about carbon sequestration and getting those metrics on carbon. It's really about nature, preservation and restoration. And that's gonna take a really international community uh, and really forward thinkers that care deeply And understand that there's so much at stake if we don't change how we're operating. I hope this is going to be a really pivotal moment and we'll see much more impact in the numbers in the years to come.
1: You've been listening to the Future Engineering Club podcast. If you've enjoyed the episode, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Give me a shout on LinkedIn. And in the meantime, keep an eye out for the next episode, which comes out next Tuesday. Thanks and goodbye.